Oh, good morning. We are uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 53 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to open up in a word of prayer, but we'll be in Isaiah 53 for this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we open your word, that you would help us to see it as more precious than gold and silver. You would give us eyes of faith to see the reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done. To see from your word, not our own interpretations, what exactly happened many years ago on that hill. I pray that you would help us to see and to feel the love of God in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would transform us by that love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53, that's where we will be going this morning. Uh, for those of you not familiar, this is probably one of the most uh, well-known texts in Scripture. This is probably one of the most exhaustive text in scripture speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to know what the crucifixion was all about, what really happened, what was going on, Isaiah 53 is a really, really good place to go. This was written about 700 years before Jesus died, which makes it all the more incredible. And the one point I want to make about that is um, is answering the question, why would Isaiah write these things down? Why would he write down what happened 700 years before And often Christians look at the Old Testament prophecies and we see something in the Old Testament and it has its fulfillment in the New. And we say, look, the Bible is reliable. And it is. So part of why Isaiah wrote it, so we would see that God is not a liar, that he tells the truth, that his plan cannot be thwarted. That's true. But another reason is so we would know what happened. Another reason is so we would know what happens when it happens. So we could interpret the facts. And we see this even in the New Testament People using Isaiah to interpret the facts. If you know the story about Philip in Acts chapter 8, he meets a man and the man is reading the scripture. And he asks him, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth? He was quoting Isaiah 53. This man was reading it and he didn't know what what was going on. Who is this? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does a prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip uses this passage we're going to look at today to tell this man the good news about Jesus Christ. We also read in John chapter twelve forty one. John quotes two scriptures in Isaiah. Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 53, 1. 6, 10 and 53, 1. And he says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, Jesus, and spoke of him. So we're reading the Old Testament because the Old Testament actually shows us what happens in the New Testament. It explains to us what happens. So why don't we read? Isaiah 53, we're actually starting at chapter 52, verse 13 is where it begins. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. 
Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and I will shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. I can't cover everything today, but I just want to make five points, five quick points out of this text this morning. The first point is the servant of the Lord that we read about in Isaiah, who is Jesus Christ, he suffered. If you know this text, you know that it's often referred to as the suffering servant text. Even though it begins with a promise of exaltation. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It seems to go downhill from there. And the rest of this passage is filled with suffering. The servant suffered. It says he was without beauty. Most of the movies you watch about Jesus Christ, you wouldn't even have to know anything about Jesus. You could point him out. The handsomest guy in the room. This is the bachelor Jesus. The the guy that everyone wants to be like. The guy that everyone follows is drawn to for who he is. His outward appearance. And I don't like that because the scriptures say that actually he didn't have any of that. There's nothing about his appearance that would draw men towards him. Nothing whatsoever. He had no beauty Further, he was despised and rejected by men. We see this even at the end of his life, towards his death. Even his closest friends rejected him in his greatest hour of need. Jesus Christ, a very short life in ministry. We hope for a very long ministry. We hope and pray that we're able to minister for a long time. He had about three years. And that's all it took for people to hate him and to kill him and to reject him. He was despised. He was rejected even by his friends. People avoided him. People didn't even like to look at him, it said. 
People would stay away from Jesus. They didn't like to see him. It says that he had a life of sorrow and grief. Jesus Christ was not Superman. Jesus Christ felt the weight of sin, not only at the cross, but in our life. He felt the consequence of sin in the fallen world. He was born into a a, a single parent home almost. People accused him of being a bastard. We don't read much of Joseph later on in his life. The religious leaders accused him of being a bastard later in his life. They made fun of him. They mocked him. He knew sorrow. He knew grief. His close friend died. And we read about Jesus weeping. There's no secret. Jesus was not secretly immune to pain and suffering. And big surprise, he's God and it didn't matter. Jesus Christ fully felt the weight of sin in this world well before he went to the cross. He knew sorrow. He knew grief. He knew sorrow and grief. He was poor. He was homeless. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It says that he was marred, which means he was inflicted with serious bodily harm. So much that his very appearance changed. He didn't even look human. We read this at the end of his life, that he was flogged, that a crown of thorns was placed on his head, that he was physically disfigured, form suffering. And lastly, it says that he was pierced. He was pierced. He was crucified. He was nailed to a tree. He was crushed under the weight of God's wrath. He was punished and he was wounded. He was flogged. He was whipped. He was torn apart. The servant suffered. Why did the servant suffer? I mean, we, can't, we have to read this and wonder, why did he suffer? What did he do? What crime did he commit? What mistake did he make? At what point in his life did he make the wrong decision and things decided to go bad for him? Why did the servant suffer? What rebellion was he a part of? Was it his own fault? No. Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although... He had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. See, what Isaiah is making very clear that if you read this about this guy's life and you examine it, you have to think, what did you do? I mean, this doesn't just happen to people, does it? Innocent people? But it does. It was not because of his sin. First Peter 2.22, Peter is speaking of Isaiah. He's using Isaiah to talk about Jesus Christ, and he says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found on his mouth, using the same language, no deceit. He committed no sin, ever, not once. Not once in his life did he ever walk away from God, did he ever reject God, did he do anything but the will of God the Father. So he did not suffer for his sins. He did not suffer for his sins. So again, why did the servant suffer? Why did the servant suffer? Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The servant was a substitute. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the message of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand this, you do not understand the servant. And many didn't. Many didn't. Didn't Isaiah say, say that? Did we read that? He was rejected. That men scorned him. They didn't like him. They didn't see. They didn't see what he was doing. They didn't see why he was suffering. They didn't get it. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. The servant suffered for us. The servant suffered for us. This is the heart of the entire Christian faith. This is the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for sinners. The word transgression means rebellion. If you are a transgressor, it means you are a rebel. You're rebelling against someone. In our case, we have rebelled against God. Jesus was pierced then on the cross for our rebellion. The word iniquity means crimes, essentially. Jesus was crushed on the cross then for our crimes. He was crushed for our breaking of God's law, to love God and to love our neighbor. The word chastisement means punishment. Jesus was punished so that we can have peace. He was punished. He was wounded so that we can be healed. Jesus did not suffer for good people. Jesus suffered for rebels. Jesus did not suffer for moral people who obey. He suffered for criminals and lawbreakers. Jesus did not suffer for those without guilt. He was punished for the guilty. Jesus did not suffer for the healthy, but he was wounded for the sick. Jesus has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Christianity is not a religion for the good people, for the upstanding people, for the righteous people. It's a religion for the opposite. That's why Jesus died. He did not come for the righteous, but the unrighteous, he says. So who did the servant suffer for? You and me. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of sin ultimately is this. Think of sin like this. All of sin is a wandering away from God. See, people struggle with sin today. With our relativism and who's to say what's right and wrong. But sin is essentially this. Walking away from God. Have you walked away from God? It says all of us have. There is no one in this room or on this planet who has not walked away. There is no one who has not gone our own way, thought we know best, rejected God. And we don't need to look far to see this. That would be the consequences of sin, sorrow and grief. Is this world full of sorrow? Full of sorrow? Is it full of grief? Is it full of brokenness? Is it full of pain? Have you met someone who is 400 years old, who will not die? No, you haven't. And that's because we've wandered away. We've left the source of life. We've left the light. And with that comes death. The consequences and the penalty of sin. All of us have wandered. Who did the servant suffer for? He suffered for us. But more than that, and I want you to see this, the the servant was willing. The servant was willing. See, we can read this and feel like this is just very, very, very unfair. And it was unfair. Or we can read this, we can read about the servant and say that this man was the victim of a horrible crime. How is this, how is this any good news to me? Like you say he died for me, but it seems like, like God is just vindictive, that God is mean and cruel to this person. But the servant was willing. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. But when his soul makes an offering for guilt, 
He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Jesus Christ's soul, it says, made an offering for guilt. What that means is his will, his emotions. He actively did this. Not merely his body, which was taken from him, which was led up the hill, which was nailed to a cross. But Jesus Christ's soul made an offering for guilt. He was active. He was willing. He chose to do this. And this is really important that we get so we understand the heart of God the Father, that Jesus Christ, the servant of God, set his soul to make a payment for guilt. As Frank said earlier, he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. He was willing to do this. He was willing to do this. Jesus Christ himself says, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. But I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is what happened. We all like sheep have wandered and gone astray. We left. And so what God the father does is he says I want them. I want them. Will you go? And the son says yes. He was willing. It was a charge by the Father. It was the will of the Lord, and yet he decided to do it. No one takes my life. No one. Jesus Christ was not, his life was not ultimately taken from him. It was offered up. This is the heart of God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But Jesus Christ was not only willing, Jesus Christ, the servant, was satisfied. He was satisfied. Let's consider this. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul. Shall he see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one. My servant. Make many to be accounted righteous. Isaiah says that the servant will go through anguish of soul. This essentially means much labor and toil. A big struggle in his soul. He's going to go through that. And yet after that, coming out of that, says he will be satisfied. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will look, he will see, and he will be satisfied. Why was Jesus Christ satisfied with his anguish? Because of what he saw. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Jesus Christ was willing to suffer for our sake. And Jesus Christ was satisfied with his sufferings, with his anguish, not because he enjoyed pain. We know he didn't. Remember in the garden, he said, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours. This was not easy. This was anguish. This was suffering. This was toil. It was an active decision, but it was a painful one. And yet coming out of that, he will be satisfied because of his great love for sinners. Jesus was satisfied because he saw that in his death and resurrection, it was going to make many, many sinful people justified before God. Jesus was satisfied because he saw you. Because he saw his offspring. Because he saw enemies become family. Because he saw rebels become brothers. And it satisfied him. This is the heart of God. This is the love of God. This is what God is doing. He is not simply crushing the servant. He is winning a family. He is purchasing a people. 
He is buying back sinners. If all we have is the suffering of Christ and the cross, it seems like a mean and terrible and horrible affliction. But we know that that's not all that happened. That wasn't what was driving that. He was satisfied because he saw us. Hebrews 12 says this, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Because of joy. Because he was happy for what he saw. He was happy looking ahead for what he saw. He was glad to endure the cross. Because Jesus looked ahead and he saw his offspring. He saw many accounted righteous. He saw brothers. He saw sisters. He saw children. He saw a family. He saw people for himself. Jesus Christ was willing and Jesus Christ was satisfied. If you've ever doubted whether God could love you, could receive you, could forgive you, look to Jesus Christ. But if you've ever doubted whether God wants to, look to Jesus Christ. Does God want to love you? Does God want to forgive you? Does God want to receive you? Yes. He set his soul towards him and he was satisfied. Good Friday is good news for the rebels who do not have to pay for their rebellion. Jesus did. Good Friday is good news for the lawbreakers that they don't have to pay for their crimes. Jesus did. Good Friday is good news for the broken that they can be healed. Jesus' wounds have healed us. And Good Friday is good news because the God we have wandered from and rejected at great cost has brought us home. Good Friday is good news because the heart of the Father and His Son is happy to welcome the sinner home. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ, the serving, suffering Savior. Amen. Our Father, we thank You so much for Your plan of redemption, for Your plan of of salvation. We thank you that you love to save lost people, that you weren't begrudgingly sending your son and he was not begrudgingly going to the cross, that in the anguish of his soul and the torment of his body, he saw a joy before him. He saw his offspring. He saw his brothers. He saw forgiven people. Father, I thank you that you love us so much. I thank you. You have forgiven us. You have brought us to you. I pray that the cross of Jesus Christ would shape our lives more than any other reality. I pray for your spirit to seal these truths in our heart. Thank you for welcoming us home. In Jesus' name, amen.